is found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all. And in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gift he gave, the gifts he gave, were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, most of you who know me know that I am not a huge fan of politics. But, To be fair, I'm also not a huge fan of anarchy either. Now, I do recognize that we live within a political system so that order can be maintained. And that said, I was listening, I was just driving home from this thing that Grace and I went to this week, and she was asleep and I was jamming to the radio, and I may or may not have been rocking it out and singing at the top of my lungs. I hope you weren't in the car next to me. That said, the song went off and a political ad came on. 
Now, before I continue, I want you to stop for a moment, and I want you to take a personal inventory of your mind, your body, and your spirit. Your pastor said political ad in the pulpit. How are you feeling? Are you anxious? Are you nervous? Are you wary? Are you suspicious? Are you defensive? Or are you just chill and relaxed? I'm not kidding. Take an inventory of how you feel that I may possibly be headed into politics. Now let's everybody take a deep cleansing breath. I'm not. But I am going to tell you um, about what happened from this incident. So the ad that I heard um, as I was jamming out and rocking and I was in a great mood, um, I hear this ad that, and I don't even know who it was for. I seriously cannot tell you. Um, but the ad completely vilified the campaigner's opponent. The language in the ad said nothing positive about the person who was campaigning or the person they were opposing. However, the language did imply that anyone who agreed with that idiot of an opponent should be looked at with suspicion and run completely out of the state of Ohio. No lie. I'm really not lying. And I sat in traffic like, I was somewhere between feeling utterly shocked and a little bit ashamed to be a part of humanity. I heard the ad one more time before I even made it home. Now, those of you who know me also know that things can like usually stick with me and it takes me a while to chew on it and I gotta chew on it for a while. So I had already begun after the first hearing to lament all of the areas of polarization that we are experiencing in our nation and in the world right now. We notice that there are opposing sides of race, of politics, of religion, of gender equality, of sexual identity, of class, yes still, and of ability. One side takes sides against another and each one of the sides stands on across the chasm hurling insults and vilifying one another, dehumanizing one another because we are so certain that someone has to be right and therefore someone else must be wrong. We've become set on the idea that there must be a winner and there must be a loser. And this is the way of the world. 
It's the way of politics, the way of business and of commerce. It's the way of education. And it's often the way of our neighborhoods, our families, and yes, even our churches. This may be the way of the world. Fear is a worldly notion. And fear not confronted, not acknowledged, not examined, probed, or worked through often leads to a desire to self-protect or defend against things that we don't understand. Defensiveness and self-protection are the breeding grounds for hate. And while fear and hate may be expectations of life in the world, fear and hate are not what God expected or intended for this world he created. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul encourages the Christ followers to live into the calling that God has made on their lives. To make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, we're called to stay together in the Spirit, and we are called to stay together in the bond of peace. That calling is in stark contrast to the calling of the world. The world calls us to focus on our differences, to pick one another apart, to judge one another, tear one another down, to compete, to oppose, and defeat one another. But God imagined a better world, a world of unity and peace in which we grow up into maturity, into the head who is Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you in here grew up with a sibling? Oh, my people. Um, so I, you've heard me mention before that I have a younger brother. And my, my brother Brian is four years younger than I am. And I've said before that we're very different. But I want to tell you a little bit. The upstairs of my childhood home, um, what, it's where all of our bedrooms were. So the downstairs was the living area, and then you go upstairs, and it's all of our bedroom areas. My parents had this huge master suite that took up one whole side of the house. It was like closet area and a bathroom and then this giant bedroom which also became where we sorted laundry because it was a bunch of space that they didn't use. The stairs went up the middle, and when you got to the top of the stairs, there was a bathroom that my brother and I shared begrudgingly. And then on this side of the house, his room was at the back. There was a shared wall, and my room was in the front. Well, my room in the front had a dormer window, so there was a slanted wall, which meant that my bed, which had higher posts, could only go on one wall of my room. You guessed it. The wall that I shared with my brother. And the year that my brother received a stereo bigger than mine for Christmas is where he and I began to have trouble living into any kind of bond of unity or peace. Brian's favorite bands were Metallica, ACDC, and ZZ Top. And Brian thought it was a good idea because his bed was on the outside wall, not sharing the wall with mine. 
that it would be good for him to place his stereo against my wall so that the speakers would face his bed and he could listen in bed. And I'm sure, without a doubt, that this made a whole lot of sense in his world. But I'm also sure that you can imagine exactly how it panned out for us. Peace was not even a remote possibility. There was no bond of unity shared with our wall. Now, as Christ followers, we are called to live into community both with other followers and also with those who are not followers. Our lives are to be a living example that points to a loving God. But living in unity with others is easier said than done because those others are also involved in our call. And we can only control our own opinions, reactions, responses, and behaviors. We can't control the opinions, reactions, responses, and behaviors of others. Living in unity with others in the bond of peace is not simply a call to a task, though. It is also a call to relationship. We are one body, one spirit. We have one hope of our calling who is the one Lord. We share one faith, one baptism, and one God who made us all. And in us all, he resides and he works through us all. In order to live out an ethic of peace, it's necessary to acknowledge that though we are many different people with many different ideas, living with one another peacefully is going to require us to live in relationship with one another. And that means we are designed to share. Opening oneself to relationship requires us to interact with one another in humility, gentleness, and patience. You know, those fruits of the Spirit. And also called to remain grounded in our desire to stay unified in love. So after hearing that horrifying ad on the radio, in my self-righteousness, I found myself thinking how awful it was for those people to have made the ad in the first place. And then I cracked up laughing because it only took me a second to so quickly jump in to the same kind of thinking from the other side. So I watched a TED Talk this week called Why It's Worth Listening to People You Disagree With. And the speaker was Zachary Wood. And Zachary shared how his mother taught him his greatest life lesson, and that was to seek to learn from the other side. I love that phrase. Learn from the other side. He starts his talk by saying that tuning out opposing viewpoints doesn't make them go away. Duh. 
He says that to achieve progress in the face of adversity, we need to genuine commitment to gaining a deeper understanding of humanity. We've avoided and ignored opportunity to address the issues of race and politics, religion, gender equality, human sexuality, class, and ability. And we've made not so much progress over time. In most conversational circles, each of these topics is even taboo especially if you want to keep your friends. But Mr. Wood asserts that confronting these difficult, even polarizing topics will open doors and build bridges of understanding between people, allowing each to value the other and to foster a desire to find common ground in the midst of conflict. He points out, by engaging with controversial and offensive ideas, that we can find common ground. He chooses engagement over ignorance. He says, quote, Through engaging, I believe that we may reach a better understanding, a deeper understanding of our own beliefs, and preserve the ability to solve problems, which we cannot do, if we don't talk to each other and make an effort to be good listeners. So rather than simply dismissing the viewpoints of people we disagree with, he proposes that in listening to the viewpoints and in engaging with the people who have them, we may be able to find common ground that will help us to learn to respect one another as human beings who have feelings and a history. He says, quote, what I wish I could tell people is that it is worth the discomfort. It's worth the discomfort. It's worth the listening that we're stronger, not weaker because of it. In this morning's scripture lesson, Paul acknowledges the fact that the maintenance of unity requires work. Unity is not just a given. Unity is not just a happy accident. Unity is a goal for a community, a faith community, as it lives out its ethic. As followers of Christ, unity isn't a given, it's a goal. And it's going to take work on that goal. Paul says that we bear with one another in love, and as we do, we will have to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Not just a little effort, not just a cursory, half-hearted attempt, but we will have to make every effort. So what does that mean? How do we make every effort? What kind of investment are we going to have to make both as individuals and as faith communities? Well, there were two people walking on a crowded sidewalk in the business district of a large city. And suddenly, one of the people stopped and exclaimed to the other in wonder, listen to the sound, the lovely sound of the cricket. And the other person couldn't hear the cricket and kind of looked at the friend and said, how can you even hear? 
detect the sound of one cricket with all this noise? Well, the first person was a zoologist, and she had trained herself to listen to the sounds of nature, but of course she hadn't explained this to her companion. She simply took a coin out of her pocket and dropped it on the sidewalk, and a dozen people responded to the sound by stopping to look all around for money. And she looked up at her companion and she said, We hear what we listen for. What are we listening for as we interact with our families, our neighbors, our co-workers, our fellow Americans, and our neighbors in this world when we disagree? What are we listening for? Are we listening for harmony? The things that we have in common, or are we listening for discord? The things that separate us. Are we making every effort to understand and live in peace with those around us, with those with whom we share this world, or are we experiencing or expecting unity to sprout from a vacuum? It's worth examining, isn't it? A book that changed my life several years ago and that I revisit often is called The Anatomy of Peace. It's published by the Arbinger Institute. And in the book, there is an illustration of this um, image, and it is called The Change Pyramid, and it sits like this. And in the change pyramid, the top one quarter of the pyramid is devoted to dealing with what's wrong. And the bottom three quarters of the pyramid is devoted to helping things go right. Where do we focus? On the top one quarter where things are going wrong or the bottom three quarters of helping things go right. If we want to see change happen, we're going to have to change our focus. Because everywhere we look today, we find bad news. Everywhere we look, we face opposing viewpoints. Even if it's about the toothpaste you choose, there's polarity. What are we listening for? Where is our focus? We can watch any news station or read any news media and see the focus is on what's going wrong. And what is going wrong makes us afraid. And as fear builds, we start to build walls around ourselves and we hunker down in our world in order to preserve and protect ourselves. We hide behind opinions and we feel safe in like-minded groups. And as we segregate ourselves and hunker down, we become smaller and smaller instead of wider and wider. But if we truly want to live into our call to be a people of one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, and we believe that one Lord is above all, through all, and working in all, Again, we need to refocus ourselves on the bottom three quarters of the change pyramid on helping things go right. 
as a people of faith, one way that we can all refocus together is through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And one way we can do that is through prayer. We can start with our church, not just our local church, but the United Methodist Church. The Council of Bishops of the United Methodist Church has called the people of the United Methodist Church to join together in prayer from now until the special called session of General Conference on February 23rd, 2019. Pastor Bob mentioned that. If you look in your bulletin, there's a sheet of paper that looks like this, and it says, Praying Our Way Forward. The worldwide United Methodist Church is at a crossroads on its debate on human sexuality. I'm going to tell you, though, that this isn't the only debate. This is the one that's at the forefront right now. This isn't just the local church or even the national church in America. This is the United Methodist Church worldwide. And the issue is complex and controversial. And it's been passed over due to that complexity and controversy for many years. And most of us have opinions on the matter. And many have convictions about what should be done. And a recommendation from the Council of Bishops um, Committee on a Way Forward will come at this special session of the General Conference in February. Stony Brook leadership has prayerfully considered how to best live into our calling as a local church to make every effort to maintain the unity in the bond of peace. And we are hoping to make every effort in a couple of tangible ways. First, Pastor Bob mentioned several offerings of the class living faithfully that are being offered. It's important that you know that this class is not designed to change minds or influence people in one direction or the other. The class is designed to inform participants of the complex nature of the issue within the full United Methodist Church. That means outside of our local church. We've had two classes go through already, and Pastor Lou has led both of them. There are other opportunities that are coming that you can sign up for on the back of your connection card today. And just know that um, all of those classes are led by one of the clergy of the church. We encourage you to join a class, not to change your mind, but so that you can understand where the United Methodist Church has been and how we've gotten to where the big C church is today. Secondly, the Council of Bishops has made a call to action that all of us come together in a Wesleyan fashion to pray and fast for peace and unity for the February session of General Conference. To get involved, look at the insert in your bulletin. The first thing you do is you go to umcpraise.org and you join. And what will happen is they'll send you a weekly email that includes a list of all the representatives all over the world who are headed to that general conference. And you can begin praying for them by name. Imagine if you were one of those delegates and you knew that every person in every United Methodist Church in the world 
was praying for you. That would give me hope. And it would give me security in knowing that, that people are supporting the unity. The other thing that you can do if, you, if you're not a joiner and you don't want to go on the web, then try this. Every day from 2.23 to 2.25 p.m., you know, February 23rd to, actually it's the 26th, um, you can stop and pray, whether it's a.m. or p.m., Pastor Bob said. There are ideas of how you can pray in those four minutes on the back of your insert that will help guide you. One other way is that you can, with everyone else who agrees to, you can do a weekly fast from Thursday afternoon into Friday afternoon. Your fast can be from food or something else, but the focus of that fasting time is that you focus your prayer life and be intentional in your desire for unity on the issue. Joining this prayer movement, we would invite you to examine the bottom half of that change pyramid that I mentioned before. This is a way that we can focus on helping things go right. We can begin by examining ourselves as individuals, ourselves as the local church, and ourself as the church worldwide. What are we listening for in our interactions with others? If we are going to live a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called, then with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love, we will not just make a half-hearted effort, but we will make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, as we recognize that we are part of one body, your body, help us, Lord, to listen. Listen to one another. Listen for how we can help things go right instead of judging, demeaning, pointing fingers and calling one another out for how things are going wrong. God, we ask that you would bless every interaction that we have with family, friends, neighbors, strangers, people that we talk to on the phone or over the internet. And we ask that our actions, our words, and our deeds would point to you, a loving God who desires the best for us all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.